Let's take our Bibles, go to Luke chapter number seven, please. The seventh chapter in the Gospel of Luke is where we'll find our text this evening. I just felt led of the Lord to um, spend a little bit of time in this particular chapter tonight. As I was uh, thinking about the uh, holiday that we have just celebrated as a, uh, as a nation, Thanksgiving, uh, I was thinking to myself, what message would the Lord have me to bring on this really concluding uh, Sunday night of Thanksgiving weekend, and uh, just felt impressed to the Lord to address uh, this concept or this idea of a grateful heart a grateful heart. And I don't suppose that you'll find any better example of a grateful heart than what is found in Luke chapter number seven. And so I want to spend some time here tonight looking at this particular uh, chapter. And so if you would, uh, allow your eyes to uh, fall on verse number 36. And we'll begin reading there. And we might read to the end of the chapter. We might cut off a little bit early, but we will preach through uh, pretty much the end of the chapter. The Bible says in Luke 7, in verse number 36, and one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. Now, of course, the him um, being described here in the beginning of this verse, where it says desired him, speaking of Jesus, and then, of course, that he would eat with him is the, is the reference to the Pharisee. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. And when the Pharisees, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him? For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, thy faith has saved thee, go in peace. Well, this week we celebrated a day known as Thanksgiving. And in recent years, many have even turned the whole month of November into a whole month of giving thanks. And I think that's a good thing to do. 
Instead of just focusing on it for one day of this particular month, maybe they journal each day things that they're thankful for. Some of them even, uh, even put it on to what, some form of social media, and it, of course, keeps a running record, and it allows us an insight into someone's heart and a glimpse into what they're thanking God for. And I think that's a good habit for us to be in. The reason for that is because one of the signs of a declining culture of the last days is that men would be unthankful. Surely you know this. The Bible says that in 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 3, where that word unthankful is given as a descriptor of the sign of the times of, a, of the last days. A November 2021 survey done by the C.S. Mott Children's Hospital in Michigan polled 1,125 random parents all of them having children between the ages of four and 10. And they discovered, this hospital discovered that 81% of those parents agree that children today are not grateful for what they have. Of the parents that were polled, 42% acknowledge that they are sometimes embarrassed by their children's selfish actions. And I just have to say, somebody's lying in this poll, right? Uh, 40, only 42% are embarrassed by that. Is there a parent in here that hasn't been embarrassed by their children's actions from time to time? All of us, no doubt, uh, have experienced some of that. Um, and in addition, 58% of parents worry that they are giving their children too much giving their children too much. The article containing these statistics revealed ways in which parents were trying to instill gratitude in the hearts of their children. And some of these ways were teaching them to say please and thank you, having them write handmade thank you cards or notes when someone had blessed them or done something kind for them, and then others were even encouraging their children to donate uh, toys, maybe gently use toys and clothes uh, to charity when they were no longer using them. It's just, a, it's just a way to clear up certainly the clutter in the house, but also to help them understand you are so blessed that you have so much you're giving things away to others who don't have as much. The study concluded, however, that while it is good to have a child say please and thank you, and don't miss this, don't miss this, there is a difference between politeness and gratitude. And we need to be reminded of that. There is a difference between just because you said thank you and someone did something, just because you wrote a thank you note does not necessarily mean that you really have a heart of gratitude. It could be that you wrote that note out of habit. It could be that you wrote that note just because that's the expected thing to do or that's the polite thing to do, and it doesn't necessarily mean that your heart is full of thankfulness or of gratitude. Now, how do we really instill a grateful heart into our lives and into the lives of our children? I thought quite a bit on this in recent days. One would think, wouldn't they, that living in this country, enjoying the freedoms and blessings that we do, that it would just naturally result in an abundance of gratitude and thanksgiving. You'd think that, wouldn't you? When we pause for a moment and think of how good we have it and just how blessed we are, you would think that it would just abound in our hearts that this idea of thanksgiving and this idea of an attitude of gratitude. But according to this survey, and certainly as we look around our culture, we understand that to think that one would be sorely mistaken. Nothing could be further from the truth. I'm reminded, I'm reminded of a biblical principle that Really, none of us like to hear, but it's something that I believe we must be aware of. 
And that principle is found in the book of Deuteronomy. And I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn there. I want you to go with me to Deuteronomy chapter number six, please. Deuteronomy chapter number six. And I'm going to give you the principle and then I'm going to read um, the principle really that's found here in scripture. So hold your place in Luke seven because we're gonna be back here in just a moment and go with me to Deuteronomy chapter number six, all right? And uh, once I hear the, the, the pages no longer rustling, then I'll have a pretty good idea that you're here because I want you to hear what the principle is and then I want you to see it in your Bible, all right? So the principle is this. Here's the biblical principle that we need to be aware of. And we're going to try to lay a foundation here, and then we'll, we'll, we'll just pull some, some thoughts from this text. Here's the principle. Ready? The principle is this. Blessing upon blessing tends to lead to entitlement and spiritual decline. You might want to write that down somewhere. Blessing upon blessing tends to lead to a spirit of entitlement and spiritual decline in our lives. Now that's the principle, sort of, just sort of you know, put in, a, in a, just a short little phrase, but I want you to see how God, how God states it for us. So look with me in Deuteronomy 6 and look in verse number 10. And God is speaking through Moses, and here's the words. And it shall be, when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee. There it is, to give thee. You're going to be given something as a gift, as a blessing. So to give thee, the Bible says, great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. What is that? That's blessing upon blessing, isn't it? I mean, I mean, God is saying, listen, you're going to receive an unprecedented blessing, a blessing that you can't even begin to imagine that I am just going to pour out upon you. But, but, but here's the principle. Look in verse number 12. Then beware. Then beware. Lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Now you must know that the first nature of every one of us is a human nature, is a sinful, wicked, carnal nature. It's a natural tendency within all of us that abuses, listen, that abuses even good and wholesome things so that, so that those, those good and wholesome things, if we're not careful, can suddenly become become almost bad or 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 evil for us because of the way that we have abused these good things um let me let me let me try to go on here with this thought god was going god is saying i'm going to give you a land that you that you were promised a long time ago before you were even thought of i was promising this land to your your spiritual fathers your spiritual forefathers i i called abraham out and i promised him this land and then i promised it to his son and then i promised it to his grandson and and you're going to be the ones who are going to be the receivers or the recipients of this particular promise and and what you're going to get what you're going to get are you're going to get houses and 
cities that are full of good things that you didn't, you didn't earn, that you didn't, that you didn't provide for yourselves. He says, you're going to get wells that you never have, 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 have never dig. You're going to get vineyards and olive trees that you never planted. And, and all of these things are going to enable you to eat and to be full. And we would say, that's all great. It's wonderful. Who wouldn't sign up for that? Who wouldn't say, man, bring it on. What amazing blessing. What prosperity. What, what privilege. But then God's next words are not, hey, this is so great. This is so wonderful. God's next words are, you better be careful. You better beware. Because you might, you just might, surrounded by all of these blessings, you just might forget the Lord who did all of this for you. You might begin to get your eyes on the prize, so to speak, your eyes on the blessing and on the prosperity and forget about me, the one who gave you these blessings and this prosperity. Now here's, here's a thought. You know, every one of us, naturally, we resist hard times, don't we? We resist trials and crisis. We resist burdens and difficulty. I don't think any of us in here invite these types of things into our lives, nor should we be inviting these things into our lives. But listen, you must recognize that at the same time, now get a hold of this, at the same time, continual blessing, continual favor, continual success isn't healthy or good for you either. Now I realize you're not going to hear, you're not going to hear a message like this in too many places, but you need to hear it. You need to understand, listen, no one, no one can sustain blessing upon blessing upon blessing and, and, and still grow spiritually and not suffer some level of entitlement and some level of spiritual decline. Listen, there is a balance in life. The balance enables us, get a hold of this, the balance enables us to appreciate the struggles and to even greater appreciation of the blessings when we are finally given them because we know what it's like to be without those things. We get it. We understand what it's like maybe to not have all of our needs met at a given moment, maybe to not have all of the, uh, the food that maybe we, we would like to have or to not have all of the blessings, whatever the things may be. The, the, the struggle enables us, it keeps us really from a sense of entitlement. The struggle enables us to stay close to God, to continue to live in dependence upon him, which is, listen, it is the essence of the Christian life. That's what the Christian life is all about, is dependence upon the Lord. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that as, as Americans, you would think, one would think that we would be the most thankful people on the planet. You would think that. Because most of us, we were born into this. I mean, this is all we've ever known. I mean, we, we, we got what the Israelites got. We got houses that we didn't build. We got wells that we didn't dig. Man, we got cities and walls and, and, and protection and safety. We, we've, got, we've got olives and, 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 and fruit trees that we never planted. We have all of these things. We were born into it. I didn't have to struggle for this. I was born into this. And you would think, one would think that we would be the most thankful, grateful people on planet Earth. 
But one would be wrong if they thought that. We have enjoyed unprecedented prosperity. And I don't know about you, but as I look around in my own life, in the life of my country, you know what I find? I find that blessing upon blessing has not led to attitude of gratitude, but instead hasn't it led to an attitude of entitlement? And would you not agree with me that it has led, without a shadow of a doubt, it has led to spiritual decline in this nation? I don't want the blessings to go away. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not asking for, I'm not asking for us to enter into a time of trouble. I think it may be coming. It may already be here. I don't want that. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for our country, for our children. But I do, I do know this. I do know that because we have enjoyed nothing but prosperity, I, I, I fear no one, listen, no one can enjoy prosperity forever. There's a balance in life. And that balance is sometimes a good thing because it enables us to recognize what we had and how blessed we were. And if I ever get that back, I will, I will then perhaps appreciate it more than I did when I had it to begin with. Now let's... Let's go back to Luke chapter number seven. I felt like it was necessary for you to see that principle because I think it's, it's played out here in, in, in our text. And in our text, Christ Jesus was invited to the home of a Pharisee who lived in Capernaum. Capernaum, of course, is a town situated on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was the home base of Christ's earthly ministry. It was also the home of Peter and Andrew, James and John. And it would be a likely place for them to live as their occupation was fishermen, and it was a village with about 1,500 residents, of which many of them were fishermen. That's what Capernaum was pretty much all about. It was just a short walk from the village to the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and so many of the people that lived there were involved in the fishing industry, of whom were Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And in this town was also a Pharisee. We're not told his, his name at the beginning of the story, but Jesus references him by name. He calls him Simon in our text. And... Um, and Simon, in, in this particular story, I, I, I'm intrigued by, by him because he makes an invitation to the Lord Jesus Christ. He invites him to come into his home for a meal. And you know as well as I do that the Pharisees hated Jesus and were constantly looking, weren't they always looking to do something that might hurt his influence among the people in Israel. This ever-growing crowd that was intrigued by his ministry and were taken by the things that he was able to do and the things that he was teaching, and it was completely opposed to what the Pharisees believed and what they taught, and so there's this war, this struggle that's going on, and the Pharisees are doing everything that, within their power to trip the Lord Jesus Christ up, to get him to say something that might be regrettable so that they could immediately pounce upon that and say, see, see if he were really sent from God, he would not have said that, he wouldn't, because that's not what the Bible teaches, that's not what God says. And so we would assume that maybe Maybe that was at the heart of Simon's invitation, but the Bible doesn't specifically tell us that that's what's going on. And so why Simon invited Jesus into his home is somewhat mysterious, but it is, it is possible that he did this merely to try to catch Jesus in something in order to weaken his impact in Capernaum, which was already soaring and, 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 and higher than perhaps it had ever been due to his ability to heal and to work miracles. I mean, chapter number seven is full of Jesus healing and doing miraculous things there in Capernaum. And while dining in Simon's home, a woman enters. That's what the Bible tells us. This woman is not highly thought of. She has a reputation in the community, and it isn't a good one. And regardless 
of what she has done in her past, it is obvious that she is here on this day, on this night, for a good reason. She is here to worship and to serve the Lord. Her presence and activity form the central reason as to why this narrative is recorded for us in Scripture to begin with. And in our text, we discover a woman, a woman with a grateful heart that is moved by this gratitude to give back to the one who has blessed her with new hope, new purpose, and new freedom in this life and in the life to come. In other words, in other words, this woman has not enjoyed blessing upon blessing upon blessing. No, this woman has dealt with struggle. This woman has dealt with difficulty. This woman, and a lot of it is self-inflicted. A lot of this she's done to herself, but, but she is in a good place now. And the balance in all of this The fact that she lived through the struggle, that she lived through the turmoil, and she's come out on the other side, has led her to a place, listen, of spiritual growth. Meanwhile, Jesus is surrounded by people who have enjoyed unlimited, unprecedented prosperity, blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And yet the best that we can say is that these people are in a spirit of spiritual decline. These people are in a spirit of entitlement, thinking of themselves that Everything that is good, they're deserving of, they're worthy of, and, and, and it's the least that the world can do is to take care of them and to meet their needs. Do you not see the contrast in this story? And, and what happens, listen, what happens is this woman, this woman, because of what she has been through, because of the struggle, because of the difficulty and the turmoil, she's come out on the, on the other side and she is filled, listen, with a grateful heart. Further, further enforcing the biblical principle that blessing upon blessing is not necessarily a great thing. I, I know we're sitting in here tonight, and if you're enjoying blessing right now, your natural heart is saying, don't let it end, and I get that. And I'm the same way. But I also want you to understand that there is a God in heaven who knows, listen, who knows what is best for you. I have some children, one in particular that does not like to take medicine. I mean, it is World War III when it's time to take medicine. And I, I, want to, I want to explain to them, this, it tastes awful. I get it. But it is so good for you. If you'll just swallow this, man, hold your nose, do whatever you gotta do. But if you'll just swallow this, you will be better. When I give it to them, I don't want to identify gender or anything like that because I don't want to you know, humiliate or embarrass him. But, uh, <laughs> but when I give it to him, all the faces, the faces, it, as a parent, it is hilarious and, and enraging all at the same time. I, I mean, the, you know, the gagging, the, you know, and I'm going, don't you dare put that on, don't you dare, it's fine, you're gonna be okay, everything's gonna be wonderful. And I, and I, want, I, I want to so in, in, ingrain in them, yeah, this doesn't taste good, but you're gonna come out feeling better if you'll just take it. And I wonder sometimes, if there isn't a God in heaven who says, listen, I know, I know the blessings, I know, I get it, I get it, I, I, want, I want to bless you more and more, but, but you know, I've given you a lot of blessings here recently, and I... And I need to give you a little bit of medicine. I need to help you to understand 
I need you to understand that, listen, if I continue just to give you blessing upon blessing upon blessing, you're going to be spiritually apathetic. You're going to be spiritually lazy. You're going to be in spiritual decline. I have to, every once in a while, I have to bring some trials into your life. And those, listen, those who bear up under those trials, and those who understand what maybe what God is trying to do and learn the lessons in those things, listen, they can emerge on the other side, listen, with a grateful heart acknowledging just how good God's been to them. I want to share with you three principles, really, three thoughts, key truths, really, that I gleaned about a grateful heart from this particular story. And I want to start with this thought, and that is this. A grateful heart begins, a grateful heart begins with honest recognition of who I am. A grateful heart begins with honest recognition of who I am. Now, it's interesting to me that this, this story references this woman as a great sinner over and over and over again. Look at verse 37. And behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner. Now, this is interesting because this is the Holy Spirit of God telling us this. Now, this is the narrative part of the story. This is like the narrator. This is not Simon speaking. This isn't Jesus speaking. I, I, it is Jesus. I get it. But you get the idea, right? This is the Holy Spirit of God telling us who this woman is. She's a sinner. The Holy Spirit of God knows it. Look, in verse, uh, look at verse 41. And Jesus, and, and there, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Look in verse 39. We, we skipped over this one. Uh, this man, here's Simon, he's thinking to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. Look at verse 47. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, Jesus is speaking now, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Verse 50. And he said to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Verse 48, he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. Sins, plural. So, so it's obvious, right? It's obvious that this woman was a great sinner. The town knew it. Jesus knew it. Simon knew it. But listen, don't, don't say this. Maybe most importantly, she knew it. She knew who she was. Christ's story reveals two great truths, listen, about all of us that we must come to acknowledge. You see, Jesus told the story, and understand, listen, he's talking about this woman, but don't lose sight of it. He's talking about Simon too. And here's, here's the two great truths that this story teaches us. Number one, here's the first great truth. Everyone owes something. Everybody owes something. Jesus said it, didn't he, in verse 41? There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. Listen, the two debtors, it's every man. And here, here's, here's what every man owes. Every man owes something. Now, in your mind, you may think that you only owe 50. And maybe, maybe that's true. But, but understand this, you still owe something. In your mind, some of you are sitting here saying, I, I'm the one who owes 500. And some of you are like, you know, the half hasn't been told. I owe five million. 
I, I know who I am. I know where I've been. I know what I've done, the things that I've said, the things that I have looked at, the things that I have touched. The bottom line is this. Listen, everyone owes something. One man in the story owed 50 pence. The other owed 500 when neither man was able to pay, the creditor did the unimaginable. He simply forgave them both. Simon, Simon had no trouble acknowledging the vast difference between the two. Christ asked him, which of them will love him most? And Simon replied that the one who was forgiven most would love the most. Christ indicated, he says, you, you've answered properly. I say this, listen, while Simon was right with his answer, he was wrong. Because he missed a greater point altogether. Sure, the one who had been forgiven of the most would love the most, but the reality is, the reality is that both people, both people in the story, Simon and this woman, both owed something. Because everybody owes something. Every last one of us owes something. Here's the second great truth. The second great truth in this story. Don't miss this. Number one, everyone owes something. Number two, nobody has anything to pay. We all owe something, don't we? And no one of us has anything to pay down this debt. That's the point of the story. So you, you might sit here and you might say, well, I don't know. I don't know what she owes. I don't know what he owes. Well, I don't know. I was watching the news last night and I heard this story about a person and I don't know. I've never done anything like that. But you're missing the point. The point is that while you may not think you owe what they owe, you still owe something. And the point is this, just as they have nothing to pay, you don't have anything to pay either. Amen. We all owe something and no one of us has anything to pay. The Bible says in Psalm 40, 49 verses 6 to 9, they that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceaseth forever that he should still live forever and not see corruption. You know, what, you know what the Lord is saying? The Lord is saying, listen, everybody owes something and not none of us have anything to pay. That's what he's saying there in Psalm 49. That's exactly what he's saying. Romans 5, 6 says this, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Galatians 3, 10 says this, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Do you see the end of that verse? He says, listen, everyone is cursed if they do not continue in doing everything that the law demands. And you know as well as I do that there is not a single person who has ever lived with the exception of the Lord Jesus Christ who has ever lived their life continuing to do all things that are written in the law. So you know what that means? That means that every one of us is cursed. Now, you, you, may do, you may do nine tenths of the law, while somebody else does maybe one tenth of the law. But the bottom line is that you're just as cursed as the person who does only one tenth of the law. Because by failing to continue to do all things that are written in the law, you're under that same curse. So, so Simon needs to get this story, and you need to get it too, and I need to get it. And this woman all, seems to have already had it. And the story is this. Listen, everyone owes something, and nobody has anything to pay. Nobody. Not only could the man who owed 500 not pay, but according to Jesus, the man who owed 50 couldn't pay. Can I say, listen, salvation comes to a man. 
when he acknowledges this truth, when he realizes I'm in debt and I can never pay this debt, ever, no matter what I do, no matter how many good works, no matter how many times I go to church, no matter how much money I put in the offering box, no matter how many times I get baptized, no matter, no matter what, I owe a great debt and I have nothing with which to pay. When that happens, listen, when somebody acknowledges that truth and then they turn to Jesus who alone can both pay a man's debt and release him from what he is owed, at that point salvation comes. A man who understands he has been forgiven when he has nothing to pay, he, that, that man will possess a grateful heart regardless, listen, regardless of what he owed. When he understands I have been forgiven of a debt when I had nothing to pay, and whether that debt was 50 or whether that debt was 500, it makes no difference because I didn't have anything to pay to begin with. And yet Christ still forgave me. And with that thought, listen, with that thought entering into our minds, at that point, listen, we can possess a grateful heart. Number two, let me say this. A grateful heart reveals itself through humble acts of service. In other words, I, I cannot have a, a grateful heart until I, first of all, honestly recognize who I am that I am in debt and I have nothing to pay. And, and, and when I acknowledge that, then that grateful heart will reveal itself through humble acts of service. Simon, a man who never honestly acknowledged his own sinfulness and debt, he invited Christ in for a meal, didn't he? But then, listen, but then, don't, don't miss this, he refused him any of the customary kindnesses in his culture that were reserved for guests. He did not offer to wash Christ's feet he did not offer to give him a kiss. He did not anoint him with oil. His ungrateful heart kept him from these humble acts of service. However, on the flip side, was a woman who was a sinner. Everybody knew it. And yet, contrast the woman who was a sinner with the man who's supposed to have his act together. With the man who's supposed to be respected. With the man that's supposed to be revered in society. And the sinner far outshines the respected, revered, loved and admired man in, 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 the, in the culture and in the society. The woman who everyone knew went above and beyond to humbly serve the Lord. And think about this. She did not wash his feet with a basin of water and a towel. No, she washed his feet with her tears and with her hair. She did not kiss Jesus on the cheek as was customary for greeting guests in that culture. No, no, she kissed Jesus on his feet. A humbling act to be sure. She did not anoint his head with oil, but instead she brought with her a, a precious ointment, presumed to be much more costly and valuable than oil would ever be. Listen, her acts of service to the Lord were personal. Can we just be honest, they were uncomfortable. They're sort of awkward. They were done publicly, and they were costly. You know, we often draw a line, don't we, in what we are, what we aren't willing to do in our service to the Lord. And I want to ask the question, what's beneath you? In other words, what won't you do for the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, if he were to, if he were to come to you tonight, and he were to say, I want you to do this, where would you draw that line? Where would you say, no, no, I'm not willing to do that? Simon, Simon seems to have drawn some lines, right? Because he didn't have an ungrateful, he had an ungrateful heart. Because he didn't see himself as a debtor with nothing to pay. This woman 
there were no line, lines drawn. She felt the spirit of God impressing her to do it. She was willing to do it. Why? Because she possessed a grateful heart. She understood, she understood who she was. She, she, she began with honest recognition of who she was. She was a debtor and she had nothing to pay. And you know what that led to? That led to a grateful heart. What is beneath you? What are you not willing to do to serve the Lord and to serve others? Have you, have you, have I, have we established certain terms and conditions to our service? Lord, I'll, I'll do this, but don't ask me to go this far. Don't ask me to spend this much time. Lord, I'll, I'll give, but don't ask me to give that much. I remind you that Jesus, during his earthly ministry, he taught, whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Christ, he fleshed out this teaching, didn't he? You know, that, that sounds good in theory. It makes us sort of appreciate and respect him more, but, but we find evidence that he did exactly what he taught them. We, we find that, don't we? The Bible tells us about the night in which he was betrayed in John 13 that he Riseth from supper. And he laid aside his garments. You know what he did? He, he took off his robe. He took off his outer garments because he was getting ready to perform the role of a servant. And he was going to find himself on the ground. He was going to find himself in contact with filthy and dirty things. And so he took off his outer robe and he laid it aside. And the Bible says in that same passage that he took a towel and he girded himself after that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Think of the one thing. Listen, think of the one thing you couldn't imagine yourself having to do. Would you be willing? Would you be willing to do that if you felt like the Lord was leading you to do so? I might have violated this own principle in my own life recently. So I was preparing for last Sunday night's service. I just, I, I felt like maybe the Lord was, was leading me to do something a little out there. Because it was on the night in which Christ instituted the Lord's Supper that he washed the feet. And I gave thought and consideration, maybe bringing one of our men up here, one of our staff men, and washing their feet myself. And I was, I was willing to do it, but I thought, man, I don't know. That's pretty out there. It's pretty radical. Like, what would the people think? Will they think I'm some weirdo? Will they think this is gross and this is disgusting and that's not something we do in our culture? And so I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm just not gonna do it. But I'm thinking to myself, what if, what if the Lord really wanted me to do that? And what if I said no? No, I don't, I don't wanna do that. That's, that's out there. That's bizarre. That's maybe not culturally appropriate. That's this or that's that. Maybe I violated what I'm teaching you tonight. If the Lord wanted me to do something, I said, no, I'm not willing to do it. I think I was willing to do it. In fact, I sort of wanted to do it. I sort of, I sort of wanted to feel a little bit of what he felt that night and, and to experience just a little bit of what he experienced. But I, I don't know, maybe I let societal norms and expectations sort of govern the way that I, the way that I went about that. And I didn't want to take the focus off of the Lord's Supper and everybody walk out of here saying, can you believe, he, can you believe how dirty that guy's feet were? Whatever, you know. And so I, I, I just didn't. And I think you're getting a glimpse into my mind and you might want to be prepared. At some point I might wash somebody's feet up here just to give you a heads up. It might happen. 
And we're not going to become a foot-washing church. I don't think that that's something we have to do. But I'm just saying, I wanted, I wanted in some respects to picture and for myself and for you what it must have been like for him. But think to yourself, think, think in your mind, what are you not willing to do? Where do you draw the line? What are some ways that you and I can humbly serve the Lord with a heart of gratitude? Well, why don't we carry gospel tracts and give them to, you don't have to wash feet, but carry gospel tracts and give them to people you come in contact with. I talked about this this morning. You'll hear a little bit more about it at the end of the service, but what about, what about purchasing a Christmas gift for a needy child and taking it to their, to their home and giving it to them and maybe even developing a relationship with that family? Some of you heard that this morning. You thought, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'll give money. I'll give lots of money, but I don't want to, I don't want to go to the home of somebody that I don't know, knock on a door and give them a gift. That might be awkward, uncomfortable, a little weird. Oh, I don't want to do that. I'll give, I'll give money instead. Maybe, just maybe, the Lord is saying, no, you ought to do that. How can you humbly serve? How can, how can we, listen, how can we, how can we put ourselves out there? Most of us, we're living our life so we don't put ourselves out there. What can we do? How about volunteer to serve in the church nursery occasionally. <laughs> why, don't, why, don't, why, don't we, why don't we do that? How about sing in the choir or play your instrument in the orchestra? I mean, you mean to tell me that in a church this size, 15 to 20 people are all the people that play an instrument? There's gotta be more. You mean to tell me in a church this size that 50 to 60 people are the only ones who have voices sufficient to sing in a choir? I think it comes down to sometimes just the time of, the time that it requires. And, and, and again, there may be people in different stages in which that's not something that you're able to do. And I understand that. And some of you, some of you, you, you would sing in the choir, but you're involved in a million other things. And I, I get all of that. But I mean, come on, are there, are, there really, are there really that few people who can humbly serve the Lord in that way? How about this? How, how can you humbly serve the Lord with a heart of gratitude? How about serve on a bus route? Give some time each weekend to an eternal purpose. How about volunteer to serve in a nursing home? Go to a place and love on people who can no longer come to church. In other words, we, we, we don't get anything out of that. We don't, we don't pass a collection plate in the nursing home ministry. We don't, people get saved there, we don't record them and brag about it. We don't ever expect that we're gonna see them come here and get baptized. No, that is a, that is a ministry to the least of these, my brethren. And surely, surely there's some and say, you know, I, I could get involved in that. How about, how about pray daily for others? Give financially the Lord's work. Develop a card or a letter-writing ministry or get involved in one we already have. How about show up when the church is performing acts of service? Super Saturdays, Great Commission Nights, Smite, VBS, the list could go on and on of things that we try to do as a church throughout the year in which you could... Humbly to serve the Lord in that way just by being present and being engaged and involved. Last thing I want to conclude with tonight, won't spend much time here, this thought, a man can be full of blessing and still lack a grateful heart. I mean, Simon was, was that man. If it was, if it was really true that he only owed 50, well, that man, he had, he had lived a pretty good life. Perhaps he wasn't involved in some great, awful, wicked sin so that the whole community knew who he was and what he had done and how much shame he bore in doing those things. He was a Pharisee. Most likely he was educated. He was wealthy. 
He was successful. He was respected and revered in the community he lived in. He had enough resources to invite Christ and others to his home so that they might share a meal together. He had all of this, but wait, there's more. Think about this. He had the very Son of God sitting in his home. The Creator, the God of all power, the King of kings, and Lord of lords was sitting at his dining room table. He had it all. But because he refused to acknowledge who he was honestly, he missed it all. If we aren't careful, we can find ourselves in a similar position. Many of us in this room grew up enjoying great blessings. As Americans, we've enjoyed unimaginable prosperity. If you grew up, listen, if you grew up in a Christian home like I did, it likely kept you from drifting off into some great sin and wickedness. No, no, don't miss this. I am still very much a great sinner. But I, I was privileged to grow up in a Christian home and, and having some of those parameters in my life and having some of those fences built for me, not because I built them, but because my parents and my authority figures built them. It kept me maybe from going off into a life of alcohol abuse or drug abuse or sexual abuse or whatever the case might be. God was so very good to me in allowing me to be born and raised in a home like that. As a result, some have developed a heart that is ungrateful because blessing upon blessing oftentimes leads to a sense of entitlement and spiritual decline. Here's what we do. We end up critiquing things, don't we? And we end up missing the point altogether like this man and his house guests did. Do you see that in verse 49? Think about all that is happening and think about who is sitting in this dining room and think about this great story that has been told that is so simple that reveals the great truths of life. And look what these people are saying. Look in verse 49. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgiveth sins also? They missed it. They missed it. Completely. And my soul, what they missed. Oh, the greatest, the greatest blessings were right in front of them. And they missed it. If a grateful heart reveals itself through humble acts of service, can I say that an ungrateful heart often reveals itself through continual criticism, complaining, and whining? And that's exactly what's happening here. Who is this that forgive us since all doesn't he know who this woman is? You know, what that, you know what that is? You know what that tells me? It doesn't tell me Simon's super spiritual. It doesn't tell me Simon's a great man. It tells me Simon has an ungrateful heart. That's what it tells me. That's what it should tell you as well. That's what it told the Lord. But he missed it. Some people sit around and they scoff and they mock and they complain and they criticize everything that is done and they critique every little thing that is done. And the whole time they think to themselves, my, how spiritual I am. My, how I have a heart on the, I have my finger on the pulse of things here in this church or, or here in this home or here in this community. And all along, all along, here's what it says. It says, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. All you have is a heart full of ungratefulness and a heart full of bitterness. You do not see yourself as who you are and you do not see yourself as what Christ has done for you. Because if you did, if you did, You'd put the complaining and the criticizing and the critiquing. And I, listen, there may, be, there may be times, but there's right ways to do things. And there's wrong ways to do things. And the right way to do things would be to go to the person who, who maybe the complaint needs to be lodged to. Go to them directly. Tonight before church, I sat down to my email, and I got an email about a complaint about our church from an individual that's been visiting recently. 
I appreciate, I appreciate the fact that this person sent me this email. I didn't like to read it. it stung. Didn't appreciate it in a fleshly way, but I do appreciate it because I, I feel like this person is critiquing something that needs to be critiqued. And I, and I love the fact that this person didn't go around and spread it all over social media and talk about this. And they came right to me. So I feel like you should know this. I appreciate that. That's the right way to do it. So I'm not saying there's never a time to criticize or complain or to critique. I'm just simply saying there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it. And this, this man and this crowd, they missed it. They missed it. And it revealed, it revealed an ungrateful heart. Simon and his guests, they went from criticizing this woman for daring to come in and interrupt their meal to criticizing Jesus for not knowing who this woman was to criticize him for having the audacity to forgive sin Again, the next time each of us find ourselves full of negativity about anything, it may be a good time to search our hearts and to deal with what is likely a heart that is ungrateful, a heart full of ingratitude. May God help us. May God help us to understand that a man, listen, us, a church full of blessing, can still lack a grateful heart.